This is Jimmy IV, creator and host of the Sexy Cool Lounge podcast. And I want you to continue to shine bright and radiate your vibe because you're now listening to The Road to Rediscovery with Aubrey Johnson. Our lives are laid out on a road of bumps, turns, struggles, and more. How do we respond? How do we endure adversity for learning and growth? I'm Aubrey Johnson, and we'll explore these questions and more on The Road to Rediscovery. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Road to Rediscovery. I'm your host, Aubrey Johnson. The Road to Rediscovery is about reflecting on life lessons to learn and grow from them, and of course, pay it forward and help others who are struggling through tough times. Now, as you know, on The Road to Rediscovery, we are very passionate about delivering content that is of quality to you and your personal growth. If you like what you hear, please visit roadsrediscovery.com slash donate. That's road, the number two, rediscovery.com slash donate. We'll give you a shout out in a future episode. And as always, there is no obligation. We are truly, truly grateful for your listenership. My special guest has over 30 years of teaching critical thinking and writing and is the founder of the Critical Thinking Institute, an organization that specializes in teaching critical thinking skills that are paramount for addressing and overcoming the challenges in life. His media presence is found in many publications, including CBS Atlanta, Connecticut Today, and The Nation Speaks, among others. He's also the author of America's Critical Thinking Crisis, The Failure and Promise of Education. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Dr. Steve Perlman to the show. Hello, Dr. Perlman. It's so great to have you here. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Oh, no, absolutely. We're we're grateful to have you here, um, here as well. So, Dr. Perlman, if we can start with you sharing your personal journey and what inspired you to start the Institute. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd like, for, uh, like for the listeners to have a little context behind that inspiration. Sure. Well, I've been teaching writing and critical thinking, as you said, in higher education for over 30 years. Mm-hmm. And about 10 years ago, was charged by a major university to elevate critical thinking outcomes across the entire university. And that seems like something that should be obvious. It sounds like something that all universities should actually do, but there's actually uh, almost no universities or higher education institutions that demonstrate critical thinking growth in their students, uh, or at least any meaningful way over time. In fact, some of them, and this is terrifying to hear, but, you know, some of them actually show a decline in critical thinking between freshman year and senior year. Oh my. Yeah. So anyway, when I was at the university, we did, discover new protocols for teaching and understanding critical thinking that elevated it for the students there. And we were so successful Mm -hmm. that I was invited to teach many other educators around the world these methods. But what I realized was that no matter how many educators I reached through that process, it was not going to be enough people who were going to be affected. So founded the Critical Thinking Institute as a way to be able to reach people directly and make this kind of teachings affordable and available to everybody in the world. Gotcha. Very nice. And when you say everybody and affordable, I mean, you're also including children, right? That's right. Yeah. There's no reason that uh, children can't learn critical thinking skills. They do plenty of critical thinking and their brains operate roughly the same way that adult brains do. And one of the things that's unique about my approach to teaching critical thinking 
is that unlike most other approaches, it works from the inside out of the brain. So it mm -hmm. starts with how the brain naturally has learned to function in order to solve problems and survive, mm -hmm. and then builds out our critical thinking structure from there. And kids do that just as much as adults do, right? So yeah. it's available to everybody and even kids can learn it. Gotcha, gotcha. So um, would you say, or is it safe to say that um, the Institute um, and, and, and the thinking skills that the Institute uh, teaches children um, is, 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 a, is a good supplement to traditional education that they're getting? Or is there some degree of critical thinking that is uh, given or shared or developed um, during traditional education that, uh, you know, that it's picked up, but um, there's, there's, there's parts of it that's missing that you provide in your, in your institute? What a great question. And so the unfortunate reality is that most education not only doesn't teach critical thinking, which has mm -hmm. to be taught explicitly, mm -hmm. it actually suppresses it to certain degrees. Um, mm -hmm. So for example, if you've been in a class where, and I think all of our listeners could probably appreciate this, right? Where, what did you need to do? You need to learn what other people thought. Right. Uh, you need to memorize certain facts about history or certain things that happened. Well, none of that's really involving any critical thinking of your own. True. Sure. Right. Mm -hmm. And so really what the outcomes suggest, and I'm not saying this based on my personal opinion, this is on research studies that have been done, which mm -hmm. show virtually no critical thinking growth over the course of education. Okay. Or sometimes a suppression of critical thinking mm -hmm. over the mm -hmm. course of education. Mm -hmm. um, so with that being the case, the question becomes for parents, I think, and for all of us, because we have programs not for parents as well, for everybody. Right. The question for everybody is, is there anything you can think of that's more important to your success, to your survival, to thriving in the world, to being able to, as you said at the start of the podcast, empower your life to give back to other people as well, than right. the ability to think well, right? Make good decisions, anticipate mm -hmm. the problems that are mm -hmm. coming down the road to solve those problems and so on and so forth. So critical thinking, unfortunately, is not taught in the schools. And for me, my journey into doing this more publicly really came from my own son, because I realized I was teaching people around the world and educators and business executives how to think critically. How was I going to communicate that same lessons, those same series of information to my son and make him better at it? Mm -hmm. So I had to refigure it for myself mm -hmm. in order to figure out how can we get this out to everybody in the world? And that's what I did. Wow, I guess you can call that a vested interest, but uh, you know, um, at a personal level, right? right? And yeah, yeah, and and so um, with that said, then um, say you have a child who who is who is going through the institute or or uh, getting the insights from the institute on critical thinking while attending traditional education, you know, um, establishment. Um, would 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 your institute give the children the edge when it comes to real life situations and how to navigate through real life situations or respond to them, not only, you know, in academic situations, but in, you know, family situations, uh, situations uh, in interacting with their classmates as well as family members? It's a great question because it really strikes to the heart of what thinking should be about, which should be about everything, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what we know from learning, for example, if we want to talk about school is that 
people learn best when they're making meaningful connections between the ideas that are being yes. presented. Right. And that's what part of what we teach in critical thinking is mm -hmm. even if you're not getting it in school, how do you start putting pieces together and thinking about them in your own mind so that you learn them better, you learn them more deeply and you enjoy learning more. Right. Yes. But also because we work from the inside out of the brain, and we're working on how the brain naturally operates when it thinks and building on that skill set. Right. Then it applies to everything that the people do in their lives. Everything we do, right? From being in school yeah. to social situations, to career situations, to family yeah. situations, to friendship situations, to mm -hmm. just thinking about innovating new ideas. It yeah. applies to everything because it's about sort of an operating manual for your own brain and how to make it work better. I see. So uh, is it is it fair to say that it's kind of like iron sharpens iron? You know, when you, you you have the skill, you're developing the skill, and and your skills are sharpening day after day after day just by living and interacting in daily society with people and being faced with situations and and, and so forth. Right. Um, I, I that's how I would think of it as iron sharpening iron. I mean, the, it can only once you discover those skills, which your institute, you know, shines that light on, then, you know, it's a matter of just applying those skills for the client, for the child uh, moving forward. And, and, and from that point forward, it can only get sharper from there, I would imagine. I think that's a great analogy. I might steal it going forward. From you. <laughs> that's sure. wonderful. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Look, so everybody thinks all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and, and I think we all think we know some people who don't. <laughs> think well enough all the time yeah but, you know everyone's thinking all the time it doesn't mean we're always making the best decision for ourselves right at any moment you know none of us do uh, but do you really know and i ask all your listeners this no matter what age they are do you really know what your brain does when it thinks do you mm -hmm. know what mechanisms are in place locked into your brain to make mm -hmm. it think and some of those mechanisms are wonderful and they're very powerful for successful thinking Yes. Some of those mechanisms are survivalist mechanisms that are sort of outdated and they're harmful to mm -hmm. our thinking process because they're mm -hmm. tribalistic or other things like that, right. that actually suppress our ability to think freely. Mm -hmm. So if we're able to understand what those functions are and we're able to know what our brain is trying to do and we're able to amplify the things that are good and suppress the things that are bad, yeah. we can all do better in terms of our thinking. And that gets us to whatever we think is valuable in life, wherever we mm -hmm. want to go, mm -hmm. that helps us get there. And then as, as you said, as we become more self-aware of it, or as we say, become more metacognitively aware of it, mm -hmm. then we just become better and better and better at it as we go forward. Very nice. Very nice. So um, I have to ask um, again with children, um, have you, have you ever had or do you have any, you know, children that your institute works with that, um, and I know there's a place and a role for, you know, addressing these types of things, but say a child who comes from a verbally or physically abusive household, you know, where uh, uh, part of their spirit may even be broken, you know, and, uh, and, and, and their self-esteem, you know, may be uh, compromised or, or just shot, quite frankly, you know, and, 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 and when, if you have any of those or ever had any of those children as clients, um, is it the traditional 
educating that you do for those situations or is there a a more comprehensive intimate approach in in helping those children navigate through to develop critical thinking well let me ask you this way i think for anyone and the research supports this you know uh, that when we understand how our brain operates a big part of that is understanding our emotions mm-hmm. because we all think emotionally before we think intellectually. If we're not in a good place emotionally, we literally can't think well intellectually. So there's a little part of our brain that's called the amygdala. Okay, it, it's about the size of an almond and it's the shape of an almond, which is what Latin is, is amygdala. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's called the amygdala because it looks like an almond. Right? Mm-hmm. But it's a tiny little part of our brain. Okay. But it's very, very powerful. And what it does mm-hmm. is it either turns on what's effectively the lower part of our brain, which is the emotional reactive part of our brain, or it turns on the cognitive part of our brains, but it doesn't turn on both usually at the same time. Okay. So if the amygdala gets nervous in -hmm. any way, if there feels any kind of threat, any kind of stress, it actually, and this is, this is not hyperbolic I'm not exaggerating here. It actually shuts off the thinking part of our brain. Mm-hmm. So that we can react in fight or flight kinds of situations. Yes. Okay. So if we learn what that's had, it's called an amygdala hijack, and we learn what that's happening, and we learn how to contend with it, and we mm-hmm. teach ways to contend with that in the program, mm-hmm. then we can all start to gain more control over our emotions and recognize when we're starting to think emotionally instead of think cognitively, mm-hmm. turn those emotions down. And then start to operate better as thinkers and reasoners in the world instead of people who are just reacting to things. Now, I say that like it's really easy and like I've never lost, you know, my temper or I've never had an emotional response to something where I haven't thought just because I know how the brain works. Listen, everybody sometimes is going to have an emotional response. doesn't matter what you do, but can you do it less, right? Can you gain more control over it? Everyone can. It's just a matter of understanding how our brain works and what techniques have been research supported to try to start to gain more control over our emotions. Mm, makes a lot of sense. And I'm so glad you said that as well, Dr. Perlman, because there's been times when I've lost my cool and um, I don't know what it's called. Um, almost like buyer's remorse, you know, um, um, I don't know, after tantrum guilt or something. I just, you know, like if I, yeah. get real mad at my dog and I yell at my dog, you know, and, and, and then I don't know, a few minutes afterwards, I'm like, wow, I should not have done that, you know? Um, and it's not that I said anything, you know, so derogatory or anything, but just the fact that I lost my cool, I raised my voice and I was being very verbal, um, you know, just, just kind of, I don't know, I kind of felt bad from that. And so that helps me realize and understand, Hey, you know, as much as I, mindfully try not to uh, lose my cool and take a cerebral approach, I guess it is, it is, um, you know, towards addressing things and, uh, and, and, and be more, you know, cognitive of it and less emotional about it. Um, it's still going to happen. And, you know, I can still work on doing it less and I can still work on rebounding after losing the cool. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you shared that for sure, man. Well, look, uh, you know, no one's perfect. Right. And, yeah. and you know, I teach this stuff to everybody and I'm not, you mm-hmm. know, I'm not necessarily perfect at it either. I have my moments for sure. And we all mm-hmm. do, but I have less. 
Yes. You know, and I'm able to gain more control over it. And, yes. you know, one of the things that we have to understand is also to forgive ourselves about it because yes. with the way our brains work is that they were wired to keep us alive. They were mm-hmm. wired for survival. And in mm-hmm. that sense, the reactive brain is very useful, right? Because, you know, if there's yeah. a, a bear jumping out of the bush at you, you don't mm-hmm. need to, you don't want to sit there and, you know, and really think it over them about it, right? You got <laughs> right. to yeah. just react, right? Yes. The thing is yes. that our brain hasn't caught up with the times and it doesn't understand that non-lethal threats to us aren't non-lethal threats so if you get angry at your dog because your dog maybe chewed on your shoe or something like that i don't know what happened right but your dog's chewed on your shoe okay and Mm -hmm. you get a little agitated at that Mm -hmm. your brain's reacting in the same way as if you're under a real physical threat for your life it doesn't understand the difference of stress Mm. of this stress against that stress it only understands stress right right? As, yeah. as a universal element. Yeah. And yeah. so it's reacting from a survivalist perspective when there is no risk to your survival present. Right. And yeah. so we got to forgive ourselves and say, wait a second, my brain's an outdated system here in certain respects. It hasn't caught up with the fact that I'm not in lethal danger. Yeah. And it's reacting that way. So let me back off a minute and give it a moment to reset and recalibrate itself. Wow. You know, I tell you, on the road to rediscovery, we have what we call the four pillars to personal growth. And that's self-awareness, humility, gratitude, and service to others. And it sounds like what you just said there, Dr. Perlman, is, uh, takes an extremely tremendous amount of self-awareness, right? It, a little bit, right? But once you start yeah. to learn about it, it's really obvious when it happens and we can yeah. really be all be more self-aware. And as you said, we can be more forgiving of others as well and compassionate yes. to other people because we can realize, Hey, wait, that person's brain is reacting like they're in some real danger. They don't, the brain doesn't know the difference. Right. Yeah. And yeah. we can be forgiving of that for them because they're not, it's not really who they are, you know, deeper yeah. down. No, that makes sense. And uh, I apologize if this question I'm about to ask you is, um, blatantly obvious, (laughs) but my background is talent development. And so, you know, in uh, many different facets of talent development, you know, we talk about um, the neurological side of the brain when it comes to learning and, you know, how some people are auditory learners, how some are visual learners and so forth. And so um, for critical thinking um, and to fully understand it um, to your level of expertise and, and your extensive experience, um, it, it, there, there is, there is uh, quite a deep dive into the neurology, neurology um, in, in, in understanding how the brain works to your point. Is that right? That's exactly right. And it's the main focus of what we do. And it's one of the things that makes the Critical Thinking Institute distinct from many other places that are trying to teach critical thinking. So you can go to a lot of other sites on, you can Google this, you can go critical thinking, you know, and you go to a lot of other sites and they're going to show you things about how to spot a logical fallacy, or they're going to show you things about how to structure an argument. And, and those yeah. things can be valuable. Let's, let's be fair, right? Those yeah, can be yeah. valuable things. But what we do is a little different. And what we do is we look at the neuroscience around what is your brain doing when it's trying to think. Mm-hmm. And then we look at the learning theory and the psychology about how it's impacted by external forces. We mm-hmm. try to wrap that all up neatly for everybody. Now, it sounds really advanced and 
you know, we're usually throwing big words around and so forth. But remember, we're teaching this to kids through cartoons wow. or a program for adults. That's not cartoons. So I got to admit, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of adults love the cartoons instead. Right. That's fine. Right, right. Yeah. It's the same stuff. It's packaged a little differently. A little more okay. sugar on the stuff for the kids. Sure. But but every lesson is so simple. Right. There's nothing mm -hmm. so hard about understanding any of this cause. And the reason is it's your own brain. Mm. Right. Yeah. How can, you know, we not going to, we're never going to understand everything about how the human brain works. Right. Okay. But we can understand a lot and it's really not hard to understand a lot of it because mm -hmm. it's making sense to us because we all say, yeah, I can feel my brain doing that. I can recognize that happening in my brain. Yeah. Because we've all had those experiences and those thoughts or those suppression of thoughts mm -hmm. that we're going to talk about in the program. And so all we're doing is refining things that you've already experienced. Ah, uh, I see. So, I mean, even, even in doing that, I mean, there are some things that become a discovery to your clients that has been in their brain all the time that is now like a revelation to them. Right? I would say just about everything we tell Just them. about everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. No, uh, I would think so, you know? And, and, and so I guess that was leading me to ask, you know, what visual or emotional change in, you know, people you work with do you see when it's like that aha moment when the light bulb comes on, you know, and, 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 and they see and understand what you, what you're showing them, what your instruction is you know throughout the program um is it is it, it a boost in self-confidence a boost in self-esteem or is it um just you know a change in how they respond to an outside uh, uh element uh, what what would that be i think there are two major things about it and mm -hmm. uh well three one of them is just an aha right okay. it's kind of a how could i not have known all of this all yeah time, yeah all time, right? <laughs> um uh -huh. The second thing is you you pinned it down really great. It's a boost in self-esteem. It's a boost in self-confidence. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, I will tell you that, especially when I work with people directly, mm -hmm. uh, college students and so forth, I've actually had students cry mm -hmm. when it clicked for them because of the confidence that they suddenly had in themselves. That so many of the self-doubts they had about how maybe they couldn't do things, they weren't smart enough, or they couldn't mm -hmm. get to where they wanted to be in life. And they mm -hmm. actually cried when they finally did it. And it all made sense because they said, now I can do it. I understand now. I can think, I can think better than most people now because mm -hmm. I know what it is involved and I've, I've done it, right? I've been through the process. But the other thing is, and this is the most surprising one, mm -hmm. relief. Mm. it's relief. It's, Oh, that's now I understand. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm so relieved yeah. that I finally get to know what my brain is trying to do when it's trying to do good things. And when it's trying to do bad things to me, it does both. Right. right. And, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's such a load off to finally <laughs> understand it. Right. Cause it's a mystery. Oh, so many of us are always trying to figure out what are we, you know, why, why am I doing this? Or why is my brain yeah. doing this? Why am I thinking that? Or why did I say that? As you said, right. why did I say that to my dog? Why did I yell at my dog? We're trying to, and yeah. finally we just go, now I can understand. Yeah. That's a huge relief, right? right. Um, yeah. That's, that's gotta be, that's gotta be, man, such, that's gotta be one of the most popular um, revelations, you know, is the revelation of relief that you know that 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 people get 
from that aha moment to your point. And it's, it's, it's almost like um, now, not only do they know, which, you know, knowing is better than the uh, sense of uncertainty. Right. Right. Um, But um, the program for what, from what I would imagine also um, provides tools for, you know, how do I respond now in the future with this knowledge now of why I act or say this or say that during these times? Yeah, this is in the theoretical venture in critical thinking. Mm -hmm. Uh, Each of our lessons is very short. Okay. It's about five to 10 minutes each week that you're going to spend with us. And then we're going to give you, and the reason that we take it, we do it weekly. This is Mm -hmm. very important Mm -hmm. is that we're not teaching you a couple of tricks to learn how to think better or, you know, uh, spot a logical fallacy or what have you. We're literally rewiring everyone's brains. Now that sounds scary, but all of our brains are rewiring themselves all the time. Right. Uh, that's how their brains work. Okay. It's called neuroplasticity and we are always building new wiring and overriding old wiring that we didn't mm. need anymore. Okay. That's happening for all of us, no matter how old we are. Mm. The question is, what kind of wiring are we building, right? Mm-hmm. We can be building wiring to do negative things. We can be wiring to do positive things. We do, we do right. wiring for, for better thinking or yeah. wiring for less thinking. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we want to take the time in between these lessons where we give you a thing to practice during the week that goes yeah. right into your life from the very first lesson. You start operating this in your life, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. To build that brain up in the right way and build wiring that's constructive and positive for critical thinking. Gotcha. Gotcha. Wow. That's fascinating to know. I I've had no idea, you know, our, our brains are constantly rewiring and overriding day after day. And it only makes sense now because each day we're, we're getting fed with more and more new and new information. Right. Right. That's right. I mean, and the mythology for a long time was that our brains stopped developing right around the time that, you know, we reach adulthood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and while it's true, I, w- I should be clear to say, you know, young brains have a rapid growth that older brains don't have. Right. Uh, simply because they're still, you know, literally growing. Right, right. Uh, and building parts that we don't, that aren't fully developed yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, nevertheless, it's not true that we stop developing our brains and stop rewiring our brains when we reach adulthood. Nothing's fixed. Everything could be rewired. And that's also how they're learning to do wonderful things with, with people who are trauma survivors or PTSD, because we are able to actually rewire what was wired in them through that experience. And that's not my specialty. It's not what I do, but it is the same kind of principle of building on that principle Mm. of neuroplasticity. Mm. Love it. Love it. And uh, I'm sure this is a technology or a knowledge um, that, um, say 50 years ago, um, may not have been as, um, as prevalent, maybe? Not at all. And okay. Not at all in terms of the neuroscience, because we simply mm-hmm. didn't have the technology to run the kind of experiments that neuroscientists are running now in order right. to understand it. Right. But also in terms of learning theory, uh, we didn't have ways to teach what we're trying to teach. Not that some didn't do it or it didn't happen in certain arenas, but mm-hmm. we weren't, hadn't been studied and it hadn't been refined. And now the knowledge is coming out. And what we found, unfortunately, and it's very sad, I think, is that um, most of what educators do, and I, I want to preface this by saying, 
we have to support our educators. Yes. They are dedicated. I've worked with thousands of them and yes. almost to the letter, they are all dedicated to their craft mm -hmm. and to making people better. Okay? And they're in a system that's unfortunately not great, but the educators themselves are really just usually just some of the best people. Mm -hmm. So, but um, they haven't been trained in how to do this. And a right. lot of what they think is developing critical thinking. The research shows that it isn't. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll take it a step further. And this, again, is not all of the fault of the educators, but right. around the turn of the last century, when the Industrial Revolution hit, in the United States, the, the Secretary of Education made a very conscious decision. And the conscious decision was to build schools to prepare people to work in factories. Mm -hmm. And what they decided mm -hmm. was that we don't want a population full of thinkers and innovators, people with hopes and dreams, uh, because they're going to spend most of their lives yeah. putting a nut on a bolt on an yeah. assembly line. And I think the damage done to our population by that is one of the most egregious crimes committed to our population in history. It's not maybe the most egregious for sure, but it's, it's, it's really unspoken and it's unknown. It's terrible because they decided very critically, they decide very deterministically right there, very consciously that we're not going to give most people the opportunity to think. And we're going to build an education system that weeds out people who, who do it to a certain extent. So, Doctor, was that, uh, if I can ask, um, was, was that determination or the decision in how they educate people in that fashion, um, was that? from a timeline perspective around the industrial age time or, or that's right. Uh, yeah. Okay. Right when okay. the factory models started to hit. Gotcha. Uh, that's when they decided that. I see. Wow. Um, that's amazing. And that is criminal, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it certainly is. And, and, Oh man, Dr. Perman. I mean, I really truly appreciate the insights that you're sharing with us when it comes to critical thinking and how the how the brain works and you know i, I want to make it clear to the listeners okay on the road to rediscovery that you know we talk about overcoming life's challenges overcoming obstacles and adversities and 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 this is a, in everyday life that we all encounter okay and the best way to navigate it through it and the only way that you can navigate through it is by applying critical thinking. Would that be accurate, doctor? Well, I would always answer it this way. Can you think of anything else that would be better? And if you can think of anything else that would be better, well, then you just use thinking to think of it. <laughs> there you go. I like that. That's kind of meta when you think about it, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of meta. So speaking of podcasts, um, you, you, you have a couple of, of your own, don't you? Yeah, I have two podcasts. Uh, mm -hmm. One is Hedagogy, which is a podcast for educators. Mm -hmm. so, and, and if you're an educator, you might really like it. It's about the teaching of critical thinking. But if you're not an educator, I promise you, you will find it very boring in, in all likelihood. Some if We have a few non-educators who dig it who are educational enthusiasts, but I'm right, not right. all educators. Uh, but the other podcast I have is called Parentology. Mm -hmm. And Parentology is a podcast where I or other experts in the field will come on and give, in very short episodes, parenting advice based on scientific research. Mm -hmm. And what it will talk about are just things like, here's a way to help your child read better uh, based on scientific research, research that's been done on reading with children, mm -hmm. right? Just mm -hmm. little insights, little things that everyone can do. There's, most of these things are so simple. 
and everyone can do them. You can, the episodes run about 15 minutes long. We give you a quick little insight about something you can do with your child, you know, teen, what have you that day when you get off the podcast, it's something you can go and apply. Mm -hmm. And it, they're really wonderful because it's so accessible to everybody. And we started the podcast because we realized all of this knowledge was coming out in research now about how to work with kids and what to do as parents and so forth. And so little of it is reaching the general public. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to just keep it simple and say, here's a little quick study. Here's a little thing you can go do. Go ahead and do it if you want to, if you apply it. And some people will take to more things, you know, some of the things and other things will go for other people. That's great. But there's something there for everybody. Nice. Kind of like micro learning. I'm sorry, I'm going back to my talent development yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, sure. uh, homage there. But um, wow. So um, those are two awesome podcasts, it sounds like, especially, um, well, they both are. And, um, and, and, you know, providing parents the skills as well is, is very, very important, Dr. Perlman. Um, how can listeners, well, I want to back up for a second <laughs> uh, before I ask you this. Um, there are so many different facets, it seems. You wear so many different hats, Dr. Perlman. Um, from what I understand, and I want the listeners to know this as well, um, you're also a martial artist, art, art instructor. Is that That's right? right. Yeah, I've been I've been in the martial arts over four years and wow. and teaching nearly as long wow. as that. And uh, I founded a martial art which is based on really it was a critical thinking experience. It was looking mm -hmm. at the underlying forces of all martial arts, mm -hmm. and the idea is really pretty simple. You know, uh, the human body only works in certain ways, mm -hmm. and doesn't matter. And I think it's a great lesson philosophically for us about people and the world, right? But it doesn't matter where right. you are in the world. Uh, the human body is still going to work the same way. So if you're Malaysian or you are European or you are Japanese, you're African or you're Native American, yeah. human body only works certain ways. So all the fighting arts that were developed really work on a similar set of constructs. Now, some had to solve for slightly different problems than others had to solve for. Right. depending on the weapons that were being used and what have you. But anyone mm -hmm. who thinks that a bar fight in medieval Japan is different than a bar fight today is out of their mind. You know? <laughs> yeah. Bar fight yeah. was a bar fight, right? Yeah. And yeah. So uh, what I did is say, let's stop looking at the techniques that are different between the styles mm -hmm. and instead start looking at what are the underlying forces that are common between the styles. Oh. And so that's how I approach the teaching of martial arts. So I'm able to show students, here's an idea. And then here's how this idea might've been expressed in feudal Japan. Mm -hmm. And here's an, that idea might be expressed in, you know, modern day Israeli combat called Krav Maga, right? It's a similar kind of construct right. applied a little differently, interpreted a little differently, done a little differently and so forth. But everyone's dealing with the same problems, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So, um, a very cerebral approach <laughs> to to uh, and a different perspective in, in how you look at the uh, the difference in the arts. So uh, I want to thank you for sharing that with us, Dr. Perlman. And now, how can the listeners subscribe to your podcast, listen to some episodes, uh, learn more about the Critical Thinking Institute, and um, and, and and follow you where where necessary? Sure. So. Uh Please, if you're a parent, you can go to subscribe to Parentology as a podcast. It's free. Enjoy it. 
learn what you can from it and so forth. You can also follow me on Facebook. You can look up the Critical Thinking Institute. And we're at the CT Institute on Instagram as well. So that's easy enough. But also please come to the Critical Thinking Institute at thectinstitute.com. That's thectinstitute.com. Come to the Critical Thinking Institute. Check out both of our programs. We have a program for kids and teens and adults who like cartoons, which is an animated program about critical thinking. And then we have the adult program where you have to suffer through looking at me a little bit more than the cartoon <laughs> version. Uh, mm -hmm. But they both teach roughly the same thing along the way. And so you can really pick whichever program is best for you or for you and your family. And you can enjoy them and learn about critical thinking there. And uh, if not, then just come and send us a message and let us know that you heard about us. That would be great, too. Beautiful. We will make sure and have links to the website, links to the podcast, links to the social mediums in the episode show notes. Dr. Perlman, I can't thank you enough for coming on to the show. It's been such a pleasure having you here. Really appreciate the insights that you've shared that I know with no doubt has resonated with the listeners. It's been a pleasure for me. I appreciate so much the energy of this podcast and what it's out to do. And it's a, it's an honor to be a small part of it. Thank you. Oh, thank you, sir. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening. And look, if you have a loved one, a colleague, a neighbor, friend who just doesn't seem to be themselves lately and going through dark days of despair, not quite sure where to turn or who to turn to, I humbly ask that you please share this show with them. And the reason why is because on the road to rediscovery, we want all our listeners to know two things. Number one, you're not alone. And number two, there is always hope. The Road to Rediscovery, it's a movement, a revolution. And guess what? You are now part of it. We're all roadies in this journey of life. And it sure feels good having you on the road with me. Thanks again for listening. We'll chat again soon. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of The Road to Rediscovery. We'd love to hear from you. Shoot us an email at roadsrediscoverypodcast at gmail.com and leave us any questions or comments you may have. The Roads Rediscovery is an AJ Shark production. <laughs> <laughs>